Amen. Brethren, if you would please turn your copy of God's Holy Word to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. morning we are going to be focusing again on Jesus' words, Matthew 5, 13 to 16, particularly verses 14 through 16. If you would please stand for the hearing of God's holy word. I'm going to read Matthew 5, verse 13 to 16. Matthew 5, verse 13 to 16. This is the word of the Lord. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be cast out and trampled under foot of men. And ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Let us pray. O oh Lord God, I pray simply today that you would stoke our light, Lord, that you would let Jesus live in and through us, that you would give us the grace to put away to identify specifically and put away anything that is hindering the light, that is quenching the light. Father, we pray that the light of Christ would shine even into our own dark places. If repentance is needed, that you would bring that. But also that through us, as you are making us clean, you would shine forth through us to the world that men might indeed see our good works. They would glorify our Father in heaven. Father, we're inviting you this day to search us, try us, know our heart, see if there's any wicked way in us, and lead us in the way that is everlasting. Lord our God, we are the light of the world. Father, give us the grace that we would indeed live as lights in the dark places, holding fast to the word of truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, brethren. Read an article this week about how Christianity conquered Rome, the Roman Empire. One specific part of that had to do with the Christians and the area of the Roman Empire around Caesarea. I'm going to read this to you as we begin today. Famine and war had recently afflicted Caesarea, so when the plague hit in the early 4th century, that is the, uh, the plague of sickness, hit in the early 4th century, the populace was already weakened and was unable to withstand this additional blow. The populace began fleeing the city, one of the larger ones in the Roman Empire, for safety in the countryside. However, in the midst of the fleeing inhabitants, at least one group was staying behind, the Christians. 
bishop of the city and historian of the early church, Eusebius, recorded in, in his histories that during the plague, all day long, quote, all day long some of them, the Christians, tended to the dying and to their burial. Countless numbers with no one to care for them. Others gathered together from all parts of the city, a multitude of those withered from famine and distributed bread to them all. See, cities in the ancient world were even more overcrowded than the densest population centers today. With few sewers existing, cities were filthy beyond imagining and became a breeding ground for disease. Major catastrophes were not uncommon, including fires, plagues, conquests by armies, frequent earthquakes. Even though the cities were unpleasant places to live, they were the population and intellectual centers of the empire, and they provided Christians with opportunities for numerical growth and cultural influence. Indeed, Christianity eventually dominated the empire by taking root in almost all the major cities of the ancient Mediterranean world from Alexandria in North Africa to Cordova in Spain. However, the Christian conquest of the Roman Empire came not by the sword, but by the preaching of the gospel joined with acts of compassion. Eusebius goes on to state that because of their compassion in the midst of the plague, the Christians' deeds were on everyone's lips, and they glorified the God of the Christians. Such actions convinced them that they alone were pious and truly reverent to God. A few decades later, a few decades after Eusebius, the last pagan emperor, Julian the Apostate, recognized that the Christian practice of compassion was one cause behind the transformation of the faith from a small movement on the edge of the empire to cultural ascendancy. Writing to a pagan priest, he said, When it came about that the poor were neglected and overlooked by the pagan priests, then I think the impious Galileans, referring to the Christians, observed this fact and devoted themselves to philanthropy. To another he wrote, They support not only their own poor, but ours as well. All men see that our people lack aid from us. In fact, Julian proposed that the pagan priests imitate the Christians' charity in order to bring about a revival of paganism in the empire. Julian's program failed because the polytheism of ancient Rome was unable to sustain the kind of self-sacrificial love and compassion that Eusebius observed in Caesarea. Christianity presented to the ancient world two theological truths that were not to be found in the pagan religions. The first is that the God of Jesus Christ is a God worth dying for, since He had first demonstrated His love for humanity by sending His Son while they were yet sinners. The second truth was a new conception of humanity. That is, the idea that all human beings have special dignity and should therefore be shown compassion as image bearers of the Almighty God. These two ideas slowly but surely transformed the culture of the Roman Empire like leaven to the bread. Today, as the West appears to be returning to paganism, the distinctiveness of the Christian doctrines of God and of man will once more stand in stark contrast to the surrounding culture by Christians who are demonstrating the love of Christ through good works, through acts of compassion to meet the needs of people 
both bodily and physically, bodily and spiritually, who need to see that Jesus is king. Kanye is absolutely right. People need to see, brothers and sisters, and us today, that Jesus is king and that he's a good king. That he is a king who, as the psalmist said, is worthy of saying, bless him, O my soul. That there is something more than the passing pleasures of vanity fair in which we live. That there is a higher joy that should transcend all things. It's a light that shines into the dark places. You remember, as we've looked at these texts about salt and light, that the original promise to Abraham back in Genesis was twofold. One, that God said, I will bless thee. And then secondly, that thou shalt be a blessing. Related to this promise, Jesus here in the Gospel of Matthew has given us two explicit commands and two analogies or metaphors which define the church's calling and mission in the world. The two commands are Matthew 6.33, that we are to seek first above all else His kingdom and His righteousness with full confidence that all the things we need in that endeavor will be supplied to us. Secondly is the command in Matthew 28 that we are to go, therefore, and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all that our Lord Jesus has commanded with the confidence that He is with us to the end of the age, that He will give us the aid and the help, the light that we need to go forth in the calling to which He's called us. But then there's also these two metaphors in Matthew, and these are the ones that are right in front of us here about what is the church called to do, to be in the world. And Jesus has told us that we are to be as salt, a salt that fertilizes the soil of the world, the culture of men's hearts, a salt that works against the growth of weeds and thorns, but a salt also that, like fertilizer, makes the soil rich and receptive and able to absorb the good seed, and the nutrients that cause growth from the gospel. But then we're also given this image of light, that the church is a light into the darkness of the world. The Beatitudes, which we spent started with in the Sermon on the Mount, those correspond to that promised Abraham that I will bless thee. And they've told us what the life of blessedness looks like. What does it look like to be a true child of Abraham, one who is blessed of the Lord? We've seen there that it is those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn over the sin of the world and in themselves, who mourn over the miseries caused by it, who see it for what it is, those who are by the Spirit of Christ living in them who are meek, who are gentle towards other sinners because they know that Jesus has been meek and gentle toward them. We put away wrath, we're quick to repent because the meek will indeed inherit the earth. They are those who are the blessed who hunger and thirst for righteousness in the world. They want it like they want their daily bread. They want it like I want hot sauce. 
fill in your blank. Oh, that the world would be righteous, that justice would rain down, like Amos 5 says, like rolling waters, that right judgment would be done in the church and in the public square, that God would be honored and glorified. They love mercy because they have received mercy. So though they love judgment and they love when justice is meted out, they love even more when a sinner turns and repents and becomes one who is righteous. They love mercy. And they desire above all else to see God, to see Him working in their midst, to see His hand and His presence and power working in society. And so they strive to purify their heart, to purify and rid themselves of the things that cause us to be double-minded, that get in the way of seeing God and loving Him supremely as your greatest treasure. Therefore, because of that, they are used of the Lord to be peacemakers, to bring about peace between brethren, bring peace between hostile parties, to bring about the peace of God vertically in people's lives so that then the peace of God horizontally begins to manifest. And yes, they will be persecuted. Jesus says you can count on that, but that's part of the blessing. Because it's proof, as Peter says in 1 Peter 4.14, that the Spirit of God and of glory rests upon you. On their part, He's blasphemed, but on your part, He's glorified. It's proof that God is with us. That we are more than conquerors. That we are on the side of right. So that's the being blessed. But then the being a blessing... That's what we're talking about here. And the reality is, is that the passage before us corresponds to the outward life of being a blessing. The Beatitudes told us what it means to be blessed within. And here Jesus is telling us about what it is to be useful without for the world's sake. The disciples of Christ are known not only by their personal character and disposition, but also by their influence on the world. Salt suggests conserving, that which is conservative in the world. Light, that which brings about progress toward righteousness and the exaltation of God and His kingdom. Salt intimates the preparation of the personal or social soil for the gospel seed by killing off, preserving that which hinders or destroys. Light speaks of sowing of the gospel seed and of the vital energy which the plants absorb from the sun and by which they grow. It also speaks of the casting out of the darkness because plants need light to grow. What I want you to see, brothers and sisters, today above all, what Jesus wants you to see is simply this, is that God truly is most glorified in the world and in the church and in us when we are most satisfied in Him. And our degree of satisfaction will be directly seen in our works of faith, our labors of love, our patience and endurance of hope, as First Thessalonians says, but which are all fueled by joy. Fueled by the light of Christ that is burning within. Like a lighthouse in a harbor for ships to come in. 
we have that light in us, though we are weak vessels, we carry the light of Christ that the world needs to see. They need to see our good works, as Jesus says. Good works that please God, that are based in faith and love of God, for the glory of God and the gladness of His people. And it's those kind of good works which are explicitly Christian in the name of Jesus, which will be used of the Lord to transform people's lives. Because good works flow from hearts that have been made new, hearts that have been made good, the hearts of the saints that have been made pure by faith. So let's just look briefly at this passage. I'm going to start here, our first point. Let's talk about our calling. The first point, the calling. Jesus says that you are the light of the world. Now, the first thing that needs to be said here is this is not given to us as a be the light of the world. This isn't given to us as a command. This is given to us as a declaration of what is true. Let me put it another way. Brothers and sisters, whether you like it or not, if you're in Christ, you are the light of the world question for us is what kind of light we're going to be, but the reality is, is that the world is and will be looking to the church as being the one that bears the name of Christ and that shows the glory of Christ. Is there a way that is better? And we are the light, and the light that's in us is the light of the eternal life of God it's the life of Jesus as manifested in his own life and works. You remember we read earlier, um, we read in John 1, 4 through 5, that's on the front of our order of worship. We read there that Jesus has life in himself. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. And the light shines forth in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it or did not overcome it. The word can mean both. It's... But the eternal life, the life of the age to come, which has been given to you and I now so that we have eternal life in this age as a foretaste of the great eternal life which we will enjoy for ages to come. The, not only the duration of the life, but the quality of life, the abundance of life, the joy of life, in a world that is bland and hopeless. We have that life because that life is none other than the very presence of Jesus himself. Remember, we were told in 1 John 1, 5, that this is the message we have heard from him, speaking of Jesus, in which we declare unto you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So he is the originator of light. He is the one who gives light. Jesus said in John 8, 12 and 9, 5, He said, I am the light of the world. It's kind of like you know, the analogy you, you've seen. If, if you look up at night, you may have heard this before, but this has always been helpful. If you look up at night on a clear night and you see that full moon. Now, there's one level at which I am truly looking up there and you say, Steve, what do you see? Say, well, I see the moon. I can make out a little face there and everything. It's beautiful. But there's another level at which we need to acknowledge what I see there is the sun. 
Because the moon doesn't have light in itself, does it? The moon and the darkness of earth is radiated by the light of the sun that's being reflected off the moon so that we can see the moon, we can see the glory of it, but what we really see is the glory of the sun shining into the darkness. There's a level at which that's kind of the relationship of Jesus' light to our light. It's a reflected glory. What people need to see, even in the darkness, is they need to see the day spring rising on high, the light shining through His people. Jesus, again in John 1, has light in Himself. The light overcomes the world. It says the darkness has not and will not overcome it. That's a promise. John went on uh, in verse 7 and following of John 1. He says, John bore witness of the light so that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but he bore witness of it. But Jesus, the true light, coming into the world, gives light to every man. John 1, 9. And the light of Christ has come and tabernacled among us. John 1, 14 says. And we beheld His glory. Light, as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The reality is, brothers and sisters, is that Jesus, having ascended to His throne, and Jesus is the head of His body, is that the way that God has ordained that He will shine His light into the world, whether you or I like it or not, is through His church. We can't just say, Lord, you're sovereign. Jesus is on the throne. All power to you. So just do what you're going to do, and we're just going to sit by and watch and rejoice. We don't have a choice, brothers and sisters, but to be the body of Christ, because that's what we are. And if the world doesn't see the light of Christ in and through the church, where will they see it? Our confidence is in Christ, our head. So the light, in this case then, is Christians. Jesus says, you are the light of the world because you have the light of the living, risen Christ in you and shining through you. His eternal life, which is that light, radiates from us. And so it makes us light. That's why 1 John goes on, he says, if we say that we have fellowship with Him and we walk in the darkness, then we lie. We don't practice the truth. But if we walk in Jesus' light, as He Himself is in the light, as He is the light, then we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all of our sin, from all of our unrighteousness. So as we walk in the light of God, then the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, we actually become lighted. We become a light to the world, like a lighthouse bearing the ships, as I said, from the sea. Showing the path clearly to the safety of the harbor. If you would look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Why don't you turn there just real quick. It's a marvelous image of how this works. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to look at verse 7 through 18 here. Apostle Paul speaking of the glory of the new covenant. And of the light of Christ. He says this, 2 Corinthians 3, 7 and following, But if the ministry of death, speaking of the law of Moses, written and engraved on stones, 
externally was glorious. It was still light. It was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which was a glory that was passing away. It was a light that was fading. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, had light, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory, light. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels or exceeds it in Christ. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. The light shines more brightly than ever before in Christ and in and through His church in the world. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away, they wouldn't, they wouldn't look steadily at the light radiating the glory from his face. But their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away so that the light can be seen clearly. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is freedom from sin, freedom from bondage and enslavement to the world, to the flesh, and to the devil. There is power. And then verse 18. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, the light of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Do you see what he's saying there? Is that as you and I, day after day, as we look at the glory of the Lord, well, how do we see that? What did Philippians say? You all as children of light, holding fast to the word of truth, you shine as stars in the darkness. So really the challenge for us today then, brothers and sisters, is to simply say this, as our calling, is that since we are the light, since the life of Christ truly does dwell in us, that is Jesus, who is the hope of glory, since we are the blessed of the Lord, I trust that we can say that. And the reality is, as brothers and sisters, is that we must pray. We must seek the Lord. Lord, would the life of Christ, which is the light that will cast out darkness and which will shine on the world, would the life be growing brighter in me? Lord, would you make me more and more? And as a church, would you cause us to be more and more like what we saw in the Beatitudes? Because that is eternal life. That is what it looks like to be in relationship with Jesus. To have the Spirit of God dwelling within and shining within. It looks like the characteristics in the Beatitudes. And that is the life then that will shine as light in the world. The reality is, as brothers and sisters, is, is that the love, the joy, the peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, those fruits of the Spirit, 
the Beatitudes, the characteristics there. These are all things which come about when we are born again. They don't come about immediately and in their fullness, but the root and the, the beginning of them is all there because the Spirit of God has come and dwelt within us. Conversion is what changes us from being sons of darkness into being children of light. Conversion is the creation of a person who loves God and therefore wants to be godly. It's the creation of a person who has been saved by grace and because they have been saved by grace and rescued, they desire other people to see and rejoice with them. Because you know what? Joy is the type of thing that just can't be contained. It can't. Light cannot be contained for very long. If you are happy in the Lord Jesus, brothers and sisters, if you are glad in Him, if you've found Him who is a treasure that will always keep giving, you're going to want to share that. You say, well, Steve, wait a minute. A treasure? If I find a treasure, why would I want to share it? Because Jesus' treasure that He gives is kind of like the widow's oil. You remember that, the Shunammite? It just keeps on giving and never runs out. That's part of the glory and beauty of it. The oil just keeps on coming and keeps on coming. And so we can give freely and liberally to the world because God is able and willing to exceedingly abundantly give us all that we need to provide for our needs as we seek to bless the world in His name. But brothers and sisters, I need to ask. I would not be in a faithful minister of the gospel if I did not do so. Do you see yourself in the Beatitudes? Because if that is the light, then before we can get down to saying, let your light shine before the world that they may see your good work and glorify your fire your heaven, we have to establish, do we know, that I am light. That doesn't mean do you do those things perfectly. Is that what perfectly characterizes you? The reason we confess sin every week is precisely because we know it's not. But can you say to me, Steve, I know and I see the clear evidence that Jesus is dwelling within. I see the Spirit moving in me and compelling me to desire Him and to put away the things of this world, the passing pleasures, and to lay hold of Jesus alone. Is there something inside me that wants others to share in my joy too? Because I don't want to contain it. You know, Jesus makes the point here in this passage. He compares it to two things. He says, uh, it's like a city, right? Which is set on a hill and it can't be hidden. And he also talks here about a candle that's on a candlestick. And people, you know, don't hide it under a bushel. And you know the kid's song, right? You hide it under a bushel, and what do you say to that? No. <laughs> Never. I'm going to let it shine. There's a lot of really good theology sometimes in these kids' songs. God is great. God is good. That, that, that you just summed up pretty much in two points the entirety of systematic theology right there. God is great and God is good. The idea of a city set on a hill, that's, why don't we start with a candle? That's actually easier. 
start with. You know, a candle. Think about an individual candle in your home. I mean, this has happened, you know, because again, today, we can just flip switches. I can flip on lights, but if you've had, you've had this happen recently where the snow comes or the tornado or the, the big storm flood comes in, what happens? All the lights go out in your house, right? Boom, no power. What's the first thing you go get? You go get your candles, right? You get a candle. I need light to navigate and to function so I don't trip and hurt myself or <laughs> break things so I can function and do the things of life. I need light. And Jesus uses this analogy. He says that it's like you're like that candle that's on a can- that, that gives light to the house. And, and you know that when it's on a stick, it actually, the radius of the arc of the light goes further, doesn't it? It, it shines and you can see things. Nobody in their right mind would take that candle if that's the only light you've got in your house. And that's, that's, that's how I'm functioning and living in my house is by the light of that candle. And I'm going to go put a bushel over it. That's absurd. And that's Jesus' point. It is absurd. It's about, it's just ridiculous. The second analogy he uses is the idea of a city set on a hill, and that, that has more of a corporate idea, right? A city is a group of households. In ancient cities, they would have the houses all right there, you know. They didn't have suburbs and all that like we do today. I mean, everybody lived right there, you know. And so a city was households together, each with their own lights in their households. But when you had a city like that on top of the hill, set above the hill, The bottom line is, whether you like it or not, you're going to see that city. If you're down in the valley around that that hilltop, you're going to see it. There's no point in trying to hide it. And that's Jesus' point. A city that is set on a hill can't be hidden. It's going to be seen. So the question is then, is there going to be sufficient light coming from the city so that travelers who are trying to get there will actually be able to get there? A city set on a hill is supposed to be bright. So these analogies, you know, of, of a candle, that's an individual candle on a lampstand, or corporately of a city of people, communities that bear the light to the world, This is just what Jesus is saying the church is supposed to be. A corporate, a community light to the world. Both as individuals and our households and as the church. Comprised of neighboring houses that are shining the light together for the world to see. A city of safety. A city of refuge. On top of the hill. For weary travelers to come and find rest. Brothers and sisters, the question then for us is simply this. If we can't hide our light, if you can't help as the church to be seen, then the question is simply what kind of light are we going to be? Jesus, and this will be my second point, he speaks of a concern here as well. If the concern is trying to... He speaks of, you know, foolishly trying to hide a city set on a hill or trying to cover over a candle with a bushel. Reminded me of something Jesus, our Lord, said in Matthew 6. 
And there he was speaking about money and how we use that and generosity. But he says these words, he says in Matthew chapter 6, If therefore, this is Matthew 6, 22, The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. Right? But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So while it's true that the church cannot help but be seen, it is also true that the light that is in us can be darkened. It can be dimmed. It can't be hidden, but it can be dimmed. How do we hide our light? How do we try to, How does our light get darkened? We can't hide it, but how do we darken it? A couple things. Number one, Ephesians chapter 5. I would ask you to turn there with me. Ephesians 5. How do we darken our light as the people of God? First way would be through unrighteousness. We darken our light through unrighteousness. Look what he says. I'm just going to start in verse 1. Therefore be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and has given himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator or unclean person or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. And here's why. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. That's what the light is. It's the fruits of the indwelling Christ in goodness, righteousness, and truth. Proving, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful to even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, Awake, you who sleep, rise from the dead. And Christ will give you light. So the first thing we need to see is that if our light is darkened to the world, we need to ask ourselves, Do I abhor what is evil and am I clinging to what is good? Is there leaven to use the analogy, in our house that we are just letting be there or in our church that is causing us to be ineffective? Is there sin in the camp? Remember back in Joshua when the people of Israel went out to fight against Ai. The walls of Jericho had just come tumbling down at the trumpet of the Lord. And so they said, yes, we've got this. Next city, please. Boom. 
This time they go fleeing with their tails tucked between their legs and several thousand die. How does that happen? Remember what happened? Bacon. There was sin in the camp because they were holding on to the abominations, the things that are supposed to be consecrated to the Lord. And they didn't have the Lord going before them at that point. Their pillar of fire was not with them. And they lost. Secondly, light can also be hidden and covered by self-righteousness. I've mentioned this before, but I want to make it again. Romans chapter 10, the Apostle Paul says clearly there, speaking of the Jews and their pride, and why they were unwilling to submit to Christ, he says this, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a great zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end. He is the goal of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So there's a way that we can dim our light when the light is being used to shine on us rather than to shine on Christ. When it's used as a way to get people to glory over us rather than to glory on the light that's within us. I think we've known these types. Maybe we've been this type before. There's nothing about a person with a pharisaical heart that makes you or anybody else want to know the Jesus they love than the Jesus that they claim, is it? One of the things I will tell you is at work, I've been called upon in my current position to be engaging in phone calls with a lot of Latter-day Saint folks. It's something we're having to do. And what's interesting is I have talked to so many of these people, and it's the same thing over and over again, is, is I hear this, they, we, we are all about good works. You want to watch, they'll give you your checklist. I've done this, I've done my ordinances, I've, I've done this, I've worn the secret underwear, blah, blah, no joke. It's, it's there. We've had the baptisms. We've, you know, I've got my pedigree down. Now, for people who are looking for a religion that says, yes, you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you can justify yourself, that might have a certain of appeal. But there's no light there. Their works aren't good works. Because they're not works that come from faith in the true and living God to His glory. And therefore, to people who have been born again, when you hear folks in the Latter-day Saints talk, your heart pities them. Because they don't know the liberty of salvation freely by grace through faith completely. They are still in bondage. They're still trying to earn their merit before God and they're not submitting to His righteousness. And their so-called gospel stinks. It is ugly. But to those who know the grace of God and truth, who have been born again by sovereign grace, who have faith and who can say, Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. I love Jesus supremely as He has loved me. And I love the gospel of free grace apart from works by a God who imputes righteousness to me. But not only does He legally declare me righteous, 
as if that was like a legal fiction, but he goes on and begins the process of making me righteous, not by infusing righteousness in me as something to be added on to my added on to Christ, but by killing me, putting Steve and Dan and Sherry and every one of you to death, so that the only light in you is Jesus. Because that's what we want the world to see. That's what's beautiful. There's nothing in me that's glorious or worthy of emulating. There's everything in Christ. And that's what the gospel does. The true light is the light of Jesus, the eternal life of Him living in and through me. And we are calling people to come into the glorious freedom and joy that we as the people of God have. Brothers and sisters, we must not lose our first love. And with this, I will close for today. We can also dim the light, I should have mentioned that too, through fear. We can dim the light through unrighteousness, through self-righteousness, and also just through fear. You know, if we live in fear of the world, fear of what people might think or what they might do, then we're unafraid. You know what we're doing? Then we're unwilling to to risk taking the cover off of our lamp. You're going to say, you know what? I just want to have my righteousness, my light, and keep it to myself. Thank you. I'm happy in Jesus. I've got light. I just want to hold it up and keep it to myself. Brothers and sisters, if you know Christ in truth, that is impossible. You may not be eloquent. You know, we're not called to be street preachers and go up but the bottom line is there will be in you a desire that people who don't have the joy you have who don't know the Christ you do something inside you will be saying oh Lord I want to be used I want somebody to bring them into the joy that I have I can't contain that I must not contain that Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 that the love of Christ compels us I ask you all today, brothers and sisters, does the love of Christ compel you? When you see that brother or sister maybe in the church who is at a disagreement with you, or you're not seeing eye to eye with, does the love of Christ in you say, I will not rest until we are at peace, until we share mutual joy again in the Lord? I can't possibly be happy while you are unhappy with me. Or while we're not at peace in the Lord. In like manner, when you have that co-worker that you work with, who is just as lost as he or she can be. They're just walking in darkness, doing what lost people do. Doing what I do when I don't have any lights on at night, tripping over the bed, falling on my face. Trying to find my way to the kitchen, <laughs> making loud noises all the way there. You know people's lives like that? They're walking in darkness. They're a danger to themselves and others. I have the light of Christ. I'm going to pray. I'm going to say, Lord God, would you use me? to be salt and light to that person. Give me the grace to speak to them a word in due season. 
Lord God, would you give me the grace to do things that are going to clearly show them that I am a Christian and there's a reason why I am the way that I am. Am I crazy? Well, maybe by their standard. But I'm crazy in Jesus' name. And you know what? I'm happy. You're not. I want you to be happy in the Lord. So, Brothers and sisters, what I'm calling you today I'm going to hold off on verse 16. I really want us to look more closely at that. This issue of good works and what do we mean by that is really critical. I don't want to delve there today, but what I want you to see is simply this today. I'll go back and conclude where I started. Is that the light of the world is Jesus in you. It is Christ the glory that is shining in through you, and that God is going to be glorified most in you and me when we are most and truly satisfied and happy in Him. When you and I look at those Beatitudes and you say, Oh, Lord God, I would give anything, and you take whatever you need to take from me. Lord, do what you have to do. Burn away my dross. Oh, Lord, that I would have joy in the light of Christ in me, that it would shine in me into all the dark places. That I must decrease and he must increase. Brothers and sisters, if you can say that, then you have light for the world. We'll talk next time about what it looks like to do the works that show that light. But brothers and sisters, let us pray and let us love the Lord God. Say, how do you pour kerosene? How do you, how, how do you pour gasoline on that, 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 that little fire and turn it into a blaze? You know what you do? It's not by going and looking at, do this, do that. Dan, do more of this. Sam, get your act together in this. That's not the answer. The answer is go sit at the feet of Jesus again. Drink full in His glorious grace. Love the gospel. Love the God who saved you when you were worthy of nothing, while you were yet sinners. Love the God who has changed you and transformed you and brought you from darkness into His light. Say, Lord God, would you help me to love you? Love you more than life itself. If you do that, and if that's the way you are, then brothers and sisters, I've got great, great hope for Providence Church. If we're a people who are light, then you know what? The world's not going to be able to stop the fruit of the ministry of this church. There's going to be fruit and there will be works and there will be people that will come into the light because of our testimony. So, Brothers and sisters, let us seek the Lord and He will give His light into our soul. Let's pray. Father, Father, as we consider this word today, that we are the light of the world. Father, that 
acknowledge that if people are going to see Jesus, they're going to see him through me and through my brothers and sisters. They're going to see Jesus through the church or they're not going to see him at all. Lord, that's a great burden. That's a great weight. But Father, it's a weight of glory. Father, these momentary passing life of trials that we go through, they're not worthy to be compared with the exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Father, for those of us who can see that which is unseen, Father, I pray that you would let your light shine up and well up within us. Lord, I pray that if there is darkness in us, that we would root it out. I ask that even as we leave today, Father, if there are things that you want us to do, if there are things in our families and in our lives that need to just go, if there's idols that need to go, if there's things that are hindering us where we are not engaging in the ways of the world, but we are watching them or, or, or imbibing them and they're dulling our senses and, and, and dimming our light. Lord, would you get rid of those things? Give us the grace, Lord, to remove that which hinders the light so that both we and the world will only be able to see more of Jesus in us. Father, we ask that you would do this for your holy name's sake. Amen. Brothers and sisters, it is no small thing to be the light of the world. The good news is that as we go forth as that light, we have sure certainty that the Lord God will lead us and He will go for us as that pillar of fire. So let's stand together.